0: feeling at the end of a long day. Not, not just any day, not on every other Thursday kind of day. I'm talking about a long day. There was a wreck on your morning commute. You played the day 25 minutes behind before you even got out of the gate. There was the text message that came in early but you carried it all day long that awkward exchange with a coworker the bill that is waiting in your inbox the unmet to-do list that physically hurts your body just to think about and then the phone call the phone call that pushed you all the way over the edge anybody else you know the feeling the depleted feeling at the end of a long day, and then inevitably in walks something or someone you care for deeply, something you care about passionately, but you know (laughs) there is nothing left. Only fumes reside. But you care, and so you try but it feels like you are trying to pull twin-sized sheets over the corner of a California King mattress. Anybody else know the feeling? And what comes in at the end, at the very end, it matters. And you know it matters. It matters a lot. And you wish, you wish you had more left. Brothers and sisters, I think that feeling may be a reflection right off the water of the way we do church. In the life of church, there are so many things nipping at our heels, lobbying for our time, lobbyists who don't even stand in line to ask for our time. There's so many. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear what First Church is doing up the road? Oh, I heard. I heard. What are we ever going to do? What are we ever going to do with with, with Sister Smith, with Brother Bob? I, I heard. I heard the elders are talking about- well, you know. You know what the elders are talking about. And then there's the style of worship. There's conflict between people, a question from a committee, a concern, a legitimate concern about organization, and near the end of the endless list, when there is precious energy left, oh yes, there is the brother, the brother who is struggling, the one who could. Really use a friend right now. There's a family falling apart. There's an orphan in need. There's a neighborhood in distress, a lonely widow all too easily forgotten. And we say with a sigh, there's only so much to go around console ourselves we say we we can't do everything but we care and so we try we try to stretch those twin size sheets out but we know we've already spent our best energy this week i began to wonder i wonder what it would look like to give first-order energy to first-order issues. Not at the end of the day, but at the very top of our agenda. What would it look like? I know there will be debate on the floor. Who gets to decide? What's a first order issue anyway? What is it? But in the middle of that debate on the floor, that's when James, the brother of Jesus, walks into the room, holds up his hand, and says, can I stop you? He he writes a note on a piece of paper, he slides it across the table, and he says, God already decided. And we read this note from James, the brother of Jesus. True religion, true devotion is this. Here it is. To care for widows and orphans in their difficulty and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We look at James' note. It's not that difficult to discern. I don't think it's overly controversial to say. Perhaps in another time, in another place, it would have been care for widows and orphans. Is that us? Is that the. But here, in this time, in this place, I don't think it's overly controversial to say. But how common is it, church, that we give only crumbs? to the cause. And I'm not talking about dollars and cents, I'm talking about energy and passion and time, and I wonder what would it look like to give first-order energy to first-order issues. Because no one, no one in their right mind signs up for worthless religion. I was running this week with that word, worthless. It's a harsh word, isn't it? Worthless? A little harsh, James. But as I ran with that word, I came across this gem of advice from Titus chapter 3. It comes right after Titus tells them to believe and to focus on doing good. And then he gives this pearl of wisdom. Titus 3.9. Avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, and fights about the law, because they are useless- and here comes the word- worthless. After a first and second warning, have nothing to- have nothing more to do with a person who causes conflict, because you know that someone like this is twisted and sinful, so they condemn themselves. How many of us have burned up good energy and stupid controversy? If some of your neighbors looking like, "No, not me, not me, you need an album, say, "Yes, you too." I'm not just talking about a church, I'm talking about a life. How many of us have burned up good energy and stupid controversy? And even if, if you want to say, well, no, 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 no." What I was passionate about it, it was a stupid controversy. OK, fine. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but let me ask this, how many ancillary things gobble up first-order energy? And I wonder what it would look like, what it will look like when we give first-order energy to first-order issues. I wonder if it will change anyone's impression or experience of church. Barna, the research group, recently did a deep dive in Nashville uh, on Nashvillians perception and participation of church. It probably won't shock you to learn that most Nashvillians are not in church on any given weekend. And I'm talking about any church of any kind. identify Christian, but only 34% say, faith is really important to me, and find themselves in a worship gathering once a month. You want to measure more frequently than that? The numbers don't get better—34%. Now interestingly, in Nashville, of unchurched Nashvilleians, 78% once found themselves in church regularly. So, so, de-churched is probably a more apt description than unchurched for most of the people that we're talking about. 78% when asked, will, will you be involved later? Would you consider being involved later in the life of the church? Four out of ten, more than four out of ten, said maybe. 14% said Definitely. And I know we could describe these people with numbers and stats, but I'm going to guess around your tables today, you could supply names to these numbers. People you know and love. People in your family. People who, who left this church not to move their letter or their membership to another church, but they somewhere along the way fell out of church altogether. Once involved. The person who who passionately volunteered downstairs or upstairs, and now they rarely darken the doors. These are real people we know, people we're related to, people we love. And so, it made me lean out on the edge of my seat, this next line of questioning about people's perception of church and their willingness to engage in church in the future. and, And what? What do you think churches should be addressing communally? It, it probably won't shock you to know they didn't list worship style as number one, like a, a debate with a choir or a praise band or church polity or organization. No, number one and two, far and above, homelessness, poverty, and hunger. It, it sounds strikingly similar to me to James. James 1, 26 and 27, widows and orphans in their suffering. Church, I believe there is something to this call, this call that we are trying to make this year for everyone to serve somewhere. To to, to, to recognize that each of you have a gift. And so, you remember the light board we had a few months ago, and we came down, the love engaged, and we said, everyone serve somewhere off a piece of tape, but pick out a place and everyone serves somewhere. Maybe it's room in the inn, maybe it's Saturday morning. We've been highlighting different opportunities, but I believe there is something to this call. And some of you have got it. You've caught the vision. There was a group just a few weeks ago that participated in a habitat build over the weekend. Another group working in the garden. There was a group that traveled to the border last week. You're catching this vision, but I believe there's something to this call to do it together, to prepare together, and serve together, and reflect together, to look for what God is doing in this world, and to look for a way to join it. And I believe it is going to resonate if it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of everything else. I wonder whose impression, perception, experience of church will be altered when we give first-order energy to first-order issues. And I I know, I have no illusion, no naive illusion that focus and faithfulness are buttons and that when we push them, down drops confetti and spontaneous and organic and exponential church growth. I know better than that. But I can't help but think it's going to bolster, it's going to alter someone's experience of church when they experience the church of Jesus Christ sold out for the work of Jesus Christ. Because that's really what James is saying. That's really what James is calling us back to. It's what he's calling for. He's saying, may the things that matter most to God matter more, a lot more, to God's people. Because true religion, true devotion is a true depiction of God himself. What James is saying, it's not... New. It's foundational. You don't even need Barna research to back it up. It's been a part of the story from the very beginning. In fact, we're going to finish today by reading a text in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's a text that I think may be in James' imagination as he makes this call to the church because it takes us back to who God is. True devotion is a true depiction of God himself. Will you stand with me for this final reading from Deuteronomy chapter 10? The Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords. The great, mighty, and awesome God who doesn't play favorites and doesn't take bribes. He enacts justice for orphans and widows, and he loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants, because you were immigrants in Egypt. Revere the Lord your God. Serve him. Cling to him. Swear by his name alone. He is your praise, and church, he is our God." Amen.